All right, hello and welcome to episode 23 of Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast by two English brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? I'm good, man. Yeah, I just think uh, the guy above me just started hoovering, so sorry if you can hear any um, noises, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really good otherwise, yeah, really good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, man. Bit of a difficult week, though, because it's been a difficult week for Leighton Orient. Yeah, we don't talk about mm. them much on this podcast. That's my team, though, that I support in England. So when I'm not watching Portuguese football, I'm watching them. Sacked the manager this week, lost 3-1. You deserve it. Do you know what? I was gutted because I thought he was a really good manager. He, if anybody knows the story of Leighton Orient, it's really worth checking out. I think there's some good content online. Recently, it was a really tragic situation where our manager passed away while he was the manager of the club and it was all quite unprecedented and quite tragic. Also, before that, we went on this uh, insane downward spiral where uh, we got taken over by this Italian businessman who turned out to be a bit of a, a lunatic. Apparently, he was wanted in Albania by the Albanian government because he was involved in some kind of sewage treatment business in Albania, which then like leaked or something and, and had caused environmental pollution in Albania. Anyway, that was the type of character that he was. The team got relegated two times in a row under his leadership. We were in non-league. It was all a disaster. It's a great story, actually. I mean, for a neutral, there's some good content on their line for me to go check it out. But yeah, anyway, we've been on the up recently, but uh, three points from six games we had recently. We scored two goals in six games. Well, we mentioned teams in really bad form. We're going to have a uh, a bit of a chat later about the state of Portuguese football overall, actually, about the kind of level of the the level of the domestic league and, and how Portuguese teams have performed in Europe. That's going to be our third section. If you want to jump ahead to that, as always, there are timestamps. Uh, in the description of this podcast but we're going to start off of course with European football from this week it was a disappointing week for Portuguese teams both Benfica and Braga knocked out of the Europa League uh, I think we should deal with Benfica first they lost 3-2 to Arsenal on the night that was a 4-3 aggregate score uh, after the first leg we both said it would be difficult for them to get back into the tie but they gave it a real good go in the end which I thought was quite nice to see yeah definitely I mean they've they took control at some one point, didn't they? I've, I was thinking at the time it was a it was literally long ball football, and um, when uh, Helton the keeper just launched it forward to Rafa, and a beautiful free kick from Gamcowers. That was that was just absolutely dreamy. I'm, I'm hoping we get to see a bit more of him actually, because I feel like you know this free at the back system that that's good for him. I think he can you know potentially take Gilberto's space at that right back, and um, I'd love to see a bit more from him, man. He had a great season at Famalicão last season. Um, seven goals, ten assists, and I, I just yeah, I, I, he hasn't really been given a chance so far. So I, I hope we see a bit more from him. I mean, he was one of a few positives, really. Uh, the other positive for me being the players were really fighting for the result, which I thought was quite nice to see. There was there was a real positivity about the players, which was quite nice to see. Uh, perhaps we haven't seen that recently domestically. So a big contrast from the first leg for me, Barney, because I thought in the first leg they were lucky not to lose the game, whereas here I actually thought they were unlucky not to get the result that they needed, really. Obviously, the second goal from Rafa, that was quite fortunate when Ceballos kind of made that mistake and, and set him up for the goal. But the first goal, like you said, that free kick from Gonzalo Ramos was a beautiful free kick and real, real moment of quality. Some positives from the game, obviously, Barney, but it was ultimately defeat in the end. And on the one hand, you can say they were coming up against Arsenal. They were always going to be second favourites. But we have to remember that these second round draws are earned by your position in the group, right? They finished second behind Rangers. Rangers only had to overcome Antwerp from Belgium in their second leg fixture. That's an opponent that you absolutely would have backed Benfica to beat. And then when you look at the fact that Rangers' next opponent is against Slavia Prague, that would be another winnable game for Benfica. So it might sound harsh, but in my opinion, I think you can only really describe this Europa League campaign as a best opportunity for Benfica. 
Definitely, I, I completely agree with that. I think they really have shot themselves in the foot by finishing second. I, I feel like you know, Rangers have been fantastic this season, but I, Benfica are a bigger, bigger and better team, in my opinion. Um, and also, like you know, look at the rest of the teams left in this competition. I mean, I, I feel like as a Benfica, you know, they probably fancy anyone else left in this competition. And this could have been like a, a really positive competition to thrive in and try and turn this negativity that's just surrounding this club at the moment. I've got one one thing, I, one point from the game, but I don't know if you agree with this, but I've read down that I thought um, Verissimo was uh, at fault for every single goal. I don't know if you agree with that. I feel like he he lost to Bamiang. Almost every time Bamiang was running, he lost him for definitely both of those goals. And I don't know if he closed Tierney down well enough. I feel like he turned his back too early. He could have just got like made himself a bit more bigger. I don't know if that's too negative for the guy. I mean, he's just arrived. But... It might be a bit harsh, but I did see someone tweet that exact same thing. And I think when I was watching, because I watched the highlights for this game quite a few times while I was, uh, you know, while we're doing some planning for this podcast. And that Tierney goal, I, every single angle you see from it, I think, Verissimo should be closing him down quicker. I agree with you on that. So it's difficult, obviously. Defenders have a tough job. They can't always be right. And when they make mistakes, they get shown up easily. And 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 he is he is new to the team, but it wasn't his best game. And, and I think, unfortunately, he, he was at fault for at least one of those goals. Well, let's do Bargain and Barney. 3-1, they lost on the night to Roma. 5-1 on aggregate, that score. That was after a first leg loss where we were both calling for them to go out, play with freedom without any fear. There were some glimmers of that, but ultimately it's disappointing because they really haven't shown their best in themselves over these two legs and what could have been, you know, a tie that they could really get their teeth into. I mean, in this leg, as soon as the first goal went to Roma, that, that was the game was dead for me. I didn't I feel like it was hard. It's, you know, it must be so hard for them to believe they could turn that around. I was trying to sort of get a summary in my head about how Brogg have performed this competition, but I feel... I feel like they did all right in the group stages. You know, despite them, you know, only getting a draw against Leicester, I still feel like they they seem to impress. I'm just a little disappointed. That this getting drawn against Roma seemed tough on paper, but I I still feel they could have made a bit more of this this tie in the two legs than, than they did. Well, I think I would go further than you, Barney. I think they did very very well in that group. I mean, let's not forget that they were on equal points with Leicester. They only finished second because of goal difference, and I think Leicester are a much much richer and 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 better team than them at the moment. So I think that was a fantastic achievement. You know, very different to Benfica, where you think they disappointed by finishing second. I think it's important not to forget as well, Barney, that Braga have got some decent pedigree in this competition. You know, they've spent every season bar one in the Europa League in the last decade or so. So, you know, they're experienced in this competition as well. They're not kind of no-hoping outsiders, but, you know, fair enough, this year wasn't their year. They did well in their group, but they got a tough draw. And, and you know, in the end, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable that they went out at this stage to an opponent like Roma. I did want to come back on what you said about Benfica, though, Barney. It's interesting that when you look at some of the teams left in this contest, if you name some of those teams left, you've got teams like Dynamo Zagreb, Dynamo Kiev, Granada, Molda, Olympiacos, Rangers, Slavia Prague, young boys from Switzerland, you know. So when you look at the kind of standard of teams that are still in this competition, for me, it, it does kind of leave a bit of a sour taste in the mouth because both these Portuguese teams can can match to that level of opposition. The thing with Braga is that they regularly get out of the group in the Europa League. I think in the last five or six years, you know, that's been the, the, the highest point. I think, didn't they get to a final in 2011? There needs to be some sort of progress. And I don't know whether that, it does just come down to the, you know, the luck of the draw, the, how important the draw is in the Europa League because you do have this weird situation different from the Champions League where there is quite a, a range and quality of clubs in the competition. So the draw is actually really important and you could say they were unlucky with this one. Yeah, I just come back to the point that I just feel like they they really, I had a belief that they could have got a bit more from this Roma tie. But 
that progress could come next season. Obviously, in the league this week, we saw Porto draw against Sporting. We'll come on to that in a second. And uh, Braga winning against Nacional. That put them up to second place. You know, they've got no game advantage in that. That's They've earned that position based on the points that they've earned this season. So in the league, I think they've had a very, very successful campaign. Um, I think... Cavalier has proved himself to be a very capable manager and he's very experienced despite not being one of the oldest managers in the league. So I think this season, perhaps the European competition wasn't the uh, exciting story that Braga fans might have hoped for, but there's a lot to be positive about uh, in the future coming up, hopefully. Well, there was an absolutely massive game in the league this week, Barney. Sporting versus Porto. First place versus second place. Ten points separated the teams before this one. If Porto were going to stand any chance of staying in this year's title race, it was a must-win game for them. Sporting, on the other hand, could have extended their lead at the top of the table to 13 points. Neither team took the opportunity, though, and it did end 0-0. It's fair to say it was a pretty quiet game, and I think that's putting it politely. Uh, But Sporting stayed top of the table, and I reckon all Sporting fans will be more than happy with that. I actually quite enjoyed this game. I thought um, I thought it was a really good matchup. I thought there was some passages of play that were quite good. But I think at the end of the day, you had Sporting who just, they could afford not to win, I felt. As long as they didn't lose, Porto scored the most goals this season and Sporting have conceded the least. So I, it was almost predictable how it was going to pan out, I feel. I think Toremi had a fair few chances, however, that he should have absolutely put away. I was... Um, I was disappointed in that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was difficult because he's been in such good form this season, right? But it was a shame that of all the days to have a, an off day, this was it. And the one chance that stood out for me, Barney, was when Corona plays that ball across the face of the goal about 55 minutes in and Tareem's got an absolute tap in. I think in his defence, the ball's probably a bit behind him, but he fluffs his lines. And, you know, it was that moment when you kind of start to think, you know what, I don't think this is going to be Porto's day because they just really struggled to make anything happen. And, you know, sporting, fair enough, they were happy to sit back. You know, they put all the pressure on Porto and the, and the pressure was on Porto for this game. They needed the result more than Sporting. Uh, sporting are more than happy with a point coming out of this because if you look at the season coming up, Barney, there's 13 games left of the season, right? Now, I had a quick look at Sporting's remaining fixtures and from the 13 games they've got left, I can only really see three potentially sticky ties. They're at home to Vittoria Guimaraes in a few weeks. Then they're away at Braga on April the 25th and away at Benfica on the penultimate day of the season. Now, for me, apart from those three games, every single game is a winnable one for them. And I think from their remaining games, they should be targeting a minimum of 10 wins. And even if they lost those other three, that 10-point cushion would mean that they would get themselves over the line as champions. I think they've had a great season. They've managed to keep the vast majority of their team intact and they've been playing disciplined, positive football. Uh, and there's no reason why they shouldn't see out the season of champions, in my opinion. I agree with what you said there. I think um, it's an okay running, but with those a few stumbling blocks. However, I also identified um, in the last six games, along with Benfica and Braga, you've also got Cedar Nacional, Bervista and Maritima, who could be in the relegation show. They could be scrapping for their lives. And who knows with that, you know, they could lose points there as well. However, I am sticking to my point I made a few weeks ago. Where I generally can't see Sporting losing a game this season. They've got a fantastic points cushion at the moment. I think that's so valuable to them. But like you said, you know, if one loss here or there creeps in, one draw here or there starts creeping in and the, uh, you know, that lead is reduced to, you know, six points, five points, that's when the pressure will start creeping. in. So, you know, long way to go, but 
I don't know, man, the way they're playing and, and, and just the mindset that Amarim has instilled in those players, I think I can't see them dropping the points needed to to give up the league at this stage. Just to look at Porto for a little bit, I, I, I feel like some of the changes could have come earlier. I think Diaz, maybe Evan Nielsen coming on a bit earlier could have perhaps changed things. I feel like Mourinho's look better in recent games. And I think you obviously have to play him in this game, but on Evan Nielsen, I sort of feel like he hasn't been given enough time this season. And so when you bring him on, it's not actually... I don't know. I, was, I feel like if he had more game time, potentially bringing on would be more of a deal. But at the, currently, I don't feel like it is. And I feel like Porto's attack needs this injection of something because, like we said, they rely on Taremi too much, and then he's not having a good game. You know where are the goals going to come from? I also think looking forward for Porto, I think they really need to start rotating more because you know it's four draws in the last five matches now in the league. They've also got the Champions League to think about. I just feel like this rotation needs to come from somewhere because the players. It's a packed schedule, man, and I think tiredness is starting to creep in. Well, the interesting stat that I saw this week, Barney, in relation to that team, the average age of that Porto starting eleven was 29 years old. That was four years older than the sporting uh, average age. Now, admittedly, Pepe being 38 uh, and coincidentally two years older than Ruben Amarim pushes that average right up. But I think it does say a lot about that squad and the fact that there's work that needs to be done there. There's players that are out of contract in that team. You know, you think about players like Corona, uh, Otavio, you know, who may well be moving on, players in that side who aren't getting any younger. I think there's definitely work to be done. Obviously, they've signed Pepe up, the Brazilian winger from Gremio for next season. That's the sort of signing they should be making. You know, a young winger from the Brazilian league with a lot of promise. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare in this summer transfer window and, and how that squad holds up. I'm interested though, Barney, what do you think a successful season this year would look like for Porto? Because at the moment, it looks like the league's gone. So for me, and I know Porto fans will say they're only interested in in winning the league but if they can knock out Juventus in this round of the Champions League if they can secure that second place and who knows even grab a Tassa de Portugal trophy as a bonus for me that's a fantastic season with the Champions League money coming in from this campaign and with the guaranteed Champions League place for next season with the squad rebuilding that they'll probably need to do next year to me that would be a job well done I think that's a decent season Um, if they get past Juventus and finish second I think that's a de- I think that is a decent season for them. It would just be interesting, like you say, the summer, what happens moving forward, whether the fans accept that as a decent season and whether, you know, there's rumours about conscious health potentially moving on, whether if 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 the fans or the board deem that uh, unsuccessful season, that could be interesting. Talking of conscious health, I, I really liked uh, Chico conscious health not shaking Pedro Porro's hand at the end of the game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw a few comments, Barney, about like father, like son. <laughs> on Chico, though, actually, I, I, I think he's looked... He looks really good, you know. He's looked bright. I thought very creative, particularly in that um, Boavista game uh, recently. A, a, a positive substitute, like someone to have on the bench, you know. I feel like he excites me a bit more than Fabio Vieira or um, uh, João Mario uh, in terms of bringing on a bit of a spark. Um, so I think that could be good for them the rest of the season. I think they need that bit more, a bit of creativity in there. Yeah, it's been nice to see him do well. I mean, obviously his relationship with the manager is always going to be a bit awkward because there's always going to be that question about why is he getting picked, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think he's done very well, like you say. He just seems to be a very positive uh, influence on the team when he comes on. We haven't seen much of Jean Mario or, or Vieira recently, have we? So maybe they've fallen down the pecking order. I'm not sure. But yeah, Porto are definitely going to need some young players if they're going to uh, develop this squad for the future. Well, there's a couple of other games I think are worth mentioning from this week's Premier League action, Barney. Santa Clara versus Pasta Ferreira, a game which ended 3-0 to Santa Clara. I think that's a result that neither of us saw coming. And the game was most notable for the presence of the fans in the stadium. It was something that 
I loved watching a lot more than I realised I was going to. For some reason, it actually made me feel quite quite emotional seeing all the fans in the stadium. It was quite evocative. It made me want to get back into the stadium more than ever. And it was something that was only possible because of Santa Clara's location on the Azores Islands, which I guess means their isolation has limited coronavirus transmissions there. And it was really just such a joy to hear the real life crowd noise for once. One and a half thousand people in the stadium and it made such a such a difference. Even that small attendance, they made such a great noise. Yeah, and imagine being um, Alano as well when when he scored that goal. You know, to have to have a crowd in the stadium witnessing that that would have been phenomenal. That would have been such a good feeling, man. Oh, what a finish that was! By the way, a proper out of the box, long range shot. Really enjoyed that one. You should check out the highlights of this game if you haven't so far. It was a really nice goal. Quite a disappointing result for Passelstow, Barney. One that we really didn't see coming. They've only won once in their last four games now. Is this a hint of a bit of a drop in form for them? Be fair to them, they've been a hell of a run this season. They've had a, they're having a fantastic season despite this loss. I think the only disappointing thing is that you know the only teams they've lost to this season are Benfica, Sporting, and Vittorio Grimmer. So with the hopes of potentially sneaking in into the fifth, you know, we were dreaming of fourth last week, weren't we? I think I ever suggested third. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I think we've got to give massive credit to Santa Clara. You know, they you know they had a disappointing result last week against Gil Vicente, but you know, Daniel Ramos has done an, an excellent job. And aside from Passos the Freire, I would say they've been the best performers outside of the big three, maybe four. And I think the best thing he's done is how he's replaced the players he's lost. You could say Sanusi went to Porto in the summer. They brought in Mansa on a free, the Brazilian left back, who I've, I've really liked. Thiago Santana left for Japan, having scored seven goals in nine games. Then you've got Costa now with six goals in his last eight games. Kreisdan as well, who stepped into Santana's vacant spot. He's been involved in uh, seven goals in Santa Claus' last 10 games. Sama Rashid as well, sorry, because I, he was their captain. You know, he, he disappeared to Turkey in, in January. And then they brought in Morita from Japan, and he's, you know, got a goal and an assist. Quite often you see teams in this league get raided for their, their star players. And so if to manage that within a season and manage that transition, I think is, is, is absolutely brilliant. I mean, the season's shaped up so in such a bizarre way, hasn't it, Barney? Because you've got first to sixth place kind of battling out for those European places. Then you've got pretty much eighth all the way down to the bottom who are still somehow close to this relegation battle. And then you've just got Santa Clara in seventh, like bang in the middle of all of that, not really threatening either side of that divide and I think they have had a good season they started the season really well perhaps we thought they dropped off a bit but that's a couple of good wins they've had now recently and and like you said it's so impressive to see the way that uh, some of the players are stepping up after Thiago Santana left so definitely a, a team to keep their eye on I mean I'm really looking forward to just watching any of their home games now just to get a bit of uh, live football noise fixed that I, I so clearly need it's a beautiful stadium as well isn't it yeah, no, it's a lovely stadium. Definitely one on the bucket list on of, for the uh, Portuguese stadium road trip that we're going to do one day, maybe. <laughs> well, you mentioned Vittorio Guimarães there, Barney. That was the other game that I wanted to talk about. Tucked away last Friday night, 2-1 day one against Boa Vista. That's two teams that we follow very closely. It was quite hard to predict how this one would go. I mentioned last week that this was the first in a run of tough fixtures for Vittorio who've not been in great form. They did go a goal down before bringing it back to 2-1. Both Marcus Edwards and Angel Gomez started. I thought Marcus Edwards had a slightly better game. And to be quite honest with you, I thought Vittoria dominated the match. Really good performance that they can build from. Nine shots on target, 60% possession. Ricardo Koreshma had been out injured as well, Barney. So Rashinia came in for this one. He was man in the match. I think he scored a really well-taken goal. And yeah, just a very positive performance all around for them. I loved um, Andre Almeida's little run uh, to start that move for Rashinia's goal. 
he sort of dribbled past like maybe two or three players. I thought it was brilliant. It's good to see him back in the side as well. I think that midfield they went with with Pepe Lou and uh, Andre Andre is definitely their strongest midfield. I want to see that play out for the rest of the season. One thing I didn't know about this game, Barney, it's a bit of a derby, this one, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, which I was quite surprised to see. I looked up on Google Maps. It's a 48-minute drive between the two stadiums, so I'm not sure how local that is. Two hours on public transport. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the, maybe the derby comes from some other situation. Maybe someone can uh, let us know about that. But Victoria's next league game is away at Braga on the 9th of March. Now, that is a big derby, the derby Domino. Really big game coming up for them. But good times in this match, so they can go into that game thinking positively, I think. Yeah, and with Passos losing as well, that will give them a little boost as well because that, that little battle, I think, is going to be the, the one coming at the end of the season. I don't know the extent of Charisma's injury, Albert, because he was on the bench for a game but didn't come on. I think that was two games ago. Uh, obviously not in the squad for this game. I just, I don't know. I hope that's not a bad one because Rashina, like you said, man of the match, Marcus Edwards, we know what he can do, but I still feel like Charisma and a Stupin and that, that partnership is what's been so important for Victoria this season. It was funny that Stupin and didn't get on the score sheet this week. It seems like he only scores when Charisma plays. I think he had like three chances to score in this game and he missed all of them. Three really good goal-scoring chances are you know, as somebody with a stupid alley in their fantasy football team, I was fuming watching this game. But yeah, it does seem funny how he needs he needs Kharizma in order to score. But even with his age, I think Kharizma still is probably the best player in that Victoria team. You know, the only players I'd maybe put against him would be Andre Andre and, and Marcus Edwards. But yeah, we really wanted to see him back sometime soon. Right, well, it's time for a bit of a chat. And every week on this podcast, since last week, we're going to be saving a bit of time at the end just to talk about a subject that might have been prominent in the week. And this week, there was one obvious choice after some very choice comments from Ricardo Huerta after Braga's game against Roma. Now, obviously, we've translated what he said, so apologies if one or two words are slightly off, but we believe the meaning is still there. Uh, And he says, in the Portuguese league, it seems that the teams don't want to play with so many players on the floor referring to feigning injuries and to slow the game down. He says, this is recurrent and we really feel the difference when we play against teams with more progress. You can see the difficulty when we play against Leicester and Roma. If we don't change the mentality in Portugal, it will be difficult to compete abroad. So these are obviously very interesting comments, Barney. He's basically saying that football in Portugal is too slow and obviously the overall standard is not as high as some of the other European leagues. Perhaps this is hindering the teams who do go out and play in Europe. I'll share my opinion in just a second, but I'm interested, what did you make of this when you first heard it? Yeah, really, I was really interested. I mean, um, the first thing I wanted to do was, well, I thought the only option we had to see if this was true was to sit and watch a game with a stopwatch and time how often the balls and how much effective playing time there is and then do the same with a, a Premier <laughs> League game or something. But fortunately, you found this, uh, <laughs> fortunately, you found this great um, little spreadsheet which had, someone had worked out already for all the major leagues in Europe. The Portuguese league has a 51.9% average effective playing time. So essentially half of the game, the ball is actually in play and the other half is out for thrones or players down etc and in comparison say the premier league which is 55 percent in the syria uh, where Roma play is 55.7 percent. so it's quite a small difference but you know it, it does equate to about four or five minutes in an actual game still what blows my mind is how 
how small how small these uh, percentages are, man. It absolutely blew my yeah. mind. Since you said that, and since we've seen these statistics, I do actually I do agree with him. I, f- I feel like f- first of all, it's not just the smaller teams. You know, I think Morega. I even uh, in the Braga game at the weekend, I remember they were sort of trying to grind out the last minutes of the game. I think Fran Sergio went down like so easy, and the whole Braga bench, even Carlos Carvalho, was celebrating because they got a free kick. And they knew that was it. They'd be able to hoof it up and that would be the end of the game. So there is a lot of that. And the most interesting thing about it, I think, is that that quote there, until we change the mentality in Portugal, it will be difficult out there. That's the best bit of the quote for me. Well, it is very interesting, Barney. And, and like you, I was quite shocked by the percentage. I mean, if you'd asked me to guess what percentage of the football was, I mean, I think they'd describe it as a effective playing time. If you'd asked me to describe what percentage of the game was effective playing time, I mean, I would have guessed like 80% minimum, right? So to see that, all these teams are within 50% is is uh, pretty shocking. But in my opinion, I definitely wouldn't have thought that Portugal would have been right down there near the bottom. Now, look, we've both watched a lot of Premier League football this year and we've both watched a lot of games between mid and lower table teams. So there's been some fantastic football matches. I mean, you just look at the type of football a team like Passers have played this year. You know, a mid-table team who've elevated their game because of a great style of football. Uh, even you mentioned... Braga there and, and Carlos Cavalio celebrating a free kick, but Carlos Cavalio has got that Braga team playing some really fantastic football. And you can even point to teams like maybe Rio Ave, Santa Clara uh, are trying to play good football. And obviously, I think there's so much positive football being played in Portugal that it did surprise me to see Portugal being so low down. And we should we should just explain that there was 35 European leagues ranked in this table. The highest was the Alsvenskan in Sweden which had just under 60%. And Portugal was 32nd out of 35, down with 51.9%. So that is very, very low. Although, interesting, like you said, the Premier League has only got 55%. So when you compare it to other leagues, perhaps it's not that much of a shock. But I never thought in a million years that there was like so much more diving or, or injury time in Portugal than, than in other leagues that you watch around Europe. I, one thing that's come to mind is I wonder if it's the, the referees. You know, there's this news coming out this week that foreign referees are going to come into the league. Uh, next season and there's always talk about referees in this league isn't there every game there's sort of a, a decision or two that everybody just wants to to talk about I was trying to think I still feel that there's been games that I've watched where you know in the Premier League if there's a derby or there's a heated rival in a game sometimes you can see the referee saying like look I'm just going to let the game flow a bit more and so the players realise that you know you're not going to get Every, every little knock or anything. So I don't know if that's a factor as well. I don't know if that Ricardo Hoda was hint, hinting at that. Well, I'm not sure, Bonnie. I think I have on occasion been a bit disappointed by some of the refereeing in Portugal. I think we do see some refs who who seem to like the limelight a little bit and, and there's some decisions that I don't enjoy so much. Uh, you know, I suppose it depends on the referee, really. You know, you get good refs and bad refs in any league and there are some who will let the game flow and, uh, and some who won't. Obviously, we have to take into account VAR as well, which is slowing the game down. Although, you know, VAR is for all its flaws at the moment, it's not going anywhere. And and hopefully, in in the next few years, as we learn to use this tool, it will be perfected and and the length of stoppages will be will be cut down there. One blatant um, example of where they could save a fair few minutes if they just stop with this booking people on the bench. Oh, like coaches! Would, they absolutely love love to throw a yellow card to. <laughs> someone on the bench they absolutely love it and he has to walk all the way across the pitch to do it as well don't they it's ridiculous this is a, this is actually a real bugbear of mine about Portuguese football Look, we love the game right we, that's why we do this podcast but it annoys me so much all these nobodies on the bench who were just always mouthing off and, and making it about them there was yeah. one guy in the Boa Vista game who got sent off and I'm just sitting there thinking like 
who are you, man? Like, why, why are you making such a fuss? I would like to see a rule introduced in Portugal limiting the number of officials that you're allowed on the bench. You should be allowed to be a manager, assistant manager, one coach, one physio, and that's it. All these guys in flat caps mouthing off to the ref just does my head in. Anyway, that's a tangent. We can move on from that. Let's take this discussion to the higher end of the table, Barney, because there was also another discussion this week on a similar topic that caught my eye. And this was a really interesting tweet by a Twitter account that I have a lot of respect for. One of the most knowledgeable voices on Twitter about Portuguese football, I think. That's Zachy Lowe at Z-A-C-H-Y-L-O-W-E. I'm sure all our listeners already follow Zachy, but if you don't already, make sure you go and give him a follow. And he posted a tweet during the Sporting Porto game, which said, as much as I love Portuguese football, the level of football on display in the Premier League is at its lowest point in recent memory. Both this match and the Lisbon derby have been complete eyesores. It is little surprise that only one Portuguese team remains in Europe. Now, obviously, it's hard to gauge the tone of a tweet when you are just reading words on the screen. It might have been a bit tongue-in-cheek. It might have been provocative during what was, it's fair to say, a really poor game. Uh, and obviously, we don't want to speak for Zaki, but from some of the replies he made to comments on that tweet, it seemed that what he was saying specifically was that the higher standard of Portuguese football that is represented to the outside world, i.e. through the big televised games and derbies or European football, the standard is lower than what it has been in the past. And just to put some figures behind that, it's 17 years since Porto's Champions League victory in 2004. They won the Europa League the year before that and then again in 2011. Uh, while Sporting, Braga and Benfica also made the Europa League final between 2005 and 2014, with Benfica doing so twice. And I want to shout out Portugal.net for those statistics. I mean, what do you make of this point, Barney? Because are Portuguese teams doing worse in Europe than they have done in recent times? I think the first thing to say on that is we've obviously delved into Portuguese football this season properly. Whereas before that, for me, it was just like a, I'd maybe like, be interested in a sporting game or poor game but I, was, I haven't properly watched them um, seriously so potentially most of our listeners will be more knowledgeable on this tonight but you know Benfica springs to mind but Benfica in Europe was such this like mystical um, magical team you know that's you know particularly the players that they, they move on to big clubs you know like Dean Maria and stuff like that there's not that this season I mean even with also you could argue there's no players in that team that are destined for a big big powerhouse in Europe or anything like that I do think however that the games we've watched this season, I have been pleasantly surprised at the way that Porto, Braga even, have competed against teams like Leicester, like Man City and Juventus. And so, yeah, I could say that they've performed better than I expected. Yeah, I thought Porto and Braga definitely did better than I expected them to in Europe this season. Benfica was different for me. I, I said at the top of the show that I thought they underperformed in Europe this season. I think I was thinking about the standard of players as well, Barney, because... It's easy to look back on the past with those rose-tinted glasses, you know, especially when you look at some of the players that played in successful European campaigns over the last decade or so. You know, you think about players like Falcao, James Rodriguez, Di Maria, Hulk. You know, these were amazing players. Uh, but they all moved on, right? They all left to go to bigger clubs. So I'm not sure that the situation now is that different to what you had then. I mean, you've recently seen some amazing players in the league, right? Joao Felix. Ruben Diaz, Bruno Fernandes, Raul Cancelo, they were all around within the last three or four years, but they all left as well, you know? The difference is that those players in the past were able to achieve much more in Europe than the players did now. So maybe the players have been sold on earlier 
than they were before. I mean, we saw um, Fabio Silva leave for Wolves for £35 million while he was only 18. I think he'd made something like six appearances for Porto. So, you know, maybe Portugal is struggling in that sense. They're having to cash in on players at a younger age. and Maybe they're, they're struggling for that reason. But I was going to say that, yeah, the sporting um, Porto game was, was a little dull. But when you look at the rest of the season and the rest of the games, I still feel like I watched some great games this league. There's still some great football being played. I'm interested though, Barney, because what would your expectations for Portuguese teams in Europe be then? Because for me, I think it's reasonable to expect one team to do well in the Champions League. And by that, I mean, make it out of the group and then the following round and make a good showing of themselves against a good team. And one team to do well in in the Europa League in a very similar way. And to be honest, in the Europa League, I think someone should be from this league should be getting to at least the quarterfinals, you know. So that's obviously something that hasn't happened this year. So I think perhaps you could say this season has been a disappointment. But for me, based on the current standard that we've got in the league right now, you know, forgetting about the past, that's what I would be hoping for. Yeah, I agree. I think those are both targets that I expect that team in this league to be able to do. I would probably maybe even say Europa League. I feel like a Portuguese team could be winning that. I don't know if there's anything to say in terms of the big three clubs being in a transitional state. Like you mentioned earlier, Porto are in a, an ageing squad with players potentially moving on. Um, Benfica have just had a quite a big overhaul. And then you've got Sporting who are having a brilliant season, but you know that that's with Amarin, a new manager. So to say it's 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 in a dire state, I don't know how. I don't know if that's a bit too harsh. I think that's very harsh. And there was one bit of news in the last few months, Barney, that I think brings the two parts of this discussion together quite nicely, and that is the new TV rights deal that is on the horizon. I believe coming into effect in the 2026-27 season which will see the Premier League rights sold as one complete package for the first time, rather than on a game-by-game basis. Now, this should make a big difference for a couple of reasons. The main reason being that with TV money spread more evenly between teams, it should make for a more competitive league. And I'm always of the opinion that a more competitive league benefits everyone, including the best teams in the league. Uh, And it will obviously therefore be a more exciting spectacle as a whole that you can sell to an international audience. And rather than relying on those individual games to sell yourself, which is always a flawed system because individual games are susceptible to having an off day, as we saw in the Porto sporting game this week and as we saw in the Lisbon derby. And of course, secondly, hopefully this will attract more good players to play longer term in the league because if you've got the ability to sell the TV rights abroad, around the world, and you can package the league up and market it two different countries, that means more exposure for these players uh, and the more their abilities are on show. So hopefully that will mean it encourages higher skilled players to stick around for longer if it's seen as a good platform for them to showcase themselves. Yeah, I mean, this sort of brings us, like you say, back to this point where, like Ricardo Hall has said, until we change the mentality in Portugal, it's going to be to about it. I think the team rights is definitely going to do that. And also, and also tied with that as well is the big teams and the coefficient in Europe. With Porto, if they get through against Juve, that's going to help uh, give us more uh, an extra place in Europe for these other teams, a bit more money coming in. I think those two are, are definitely going to help this league. I think there's so many possibilities for the Portuguese league, man. I think there's been some big missed opportunity when it comes to marketing the league abroad. I mean, I mean, who's better to talk about that as well than us? You know, two people who've been drawn into this league by its history, by its players, by the young players on show, the young managers, you know, the European football it offers you, there's so many good sellable things about this league that you can present to the outside world that I just think are not being done. I mean, there's a huge, huge market of football nerds out there. And I mean, I know it sounds like damning with faint praise, but 
it's true. I mean, you look at the success of publications like uh, The Athletic, about podcasts like The Football Ramble, you know, On the Continent, all those type of things, the World Football Phone-In, there is a huge market for people who are drawn in by those international football stories, you know, great historic teams, uh, Benfica, Porto, Sporting, Lisbon, these are all like household names. You know, when you think of Benfica, what do you think of? You know, Eusebio, Di Maria, players like that. When you think of Porto, you think of Deco, you know, that calibre of player. And so to be able to sell this league as, you know, where all that stuff starts, there's so many big Portuguese managers managing around the world. And this is the place where you watch that all for the first time. So I think there's so many, so much good that the Portuguese league has got going for it. And, and hopefully with that new TV deal, we'll see a, a much bigger following for the league. And that will just benefit the league in so many ways, financially and in terms of exposure. Well, look, we've waffled on there for quite a long time, but I think just to be succinct, what we're saying is that we love this league. We love these teams. And we think that there's an awful lot for people all around to enjoy with this with this league, regardless of what your opinion on the current standard of it is. I think with Porto about to play a Champions League fixture against Juventus in which they've looked like the better team so far, I think, you know, that in itself says that there's a good standard in this league at the moment, you know, whatever you've got to say about it. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next week to discuss, of course, that Champions League fixture and all the reaction from the Premier League. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts or send it to a mate that you think might enjoy listening. Obviously, for podcasts like ourselves, word of mouth is a really invaluable tool. So, uh, yeah, we appreciate any support and sharing that we can get. But without further ado, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. See you next week.